Welcome back, everybody. It's the Uncensored CMO. It's great to have you with me. Now, when I set this podcast up, I was really keen to talk to fully-fledged CMOs who are running some of the nation's biggest brands to find out from them what it's like to be a CMO. What are the challenges? What skill set do you need to be successful? What it's like in the boardroom compared to uh, being in the marketing function? And I'm delighted that in this episode, I'm joined by a really high-profile, experienced uh, CMO called Marg Jobling. She is the CMO of NatWest and has got loads of great experience and wonderful wisdom and knowledge about what it takes to be a successful CMO. We cover a lot of ground in this episode. You are really, really going to enjoy this. In fact, as I was listening back, I found myself uh, agreeing violently with so much of what she said. Um, She really does have a lot of brilliant experience to bring. Uh, We talk a lot about her career. We talk about what it takes to be a a good CMO. We talk about the difference between FMCG and the service sector, um, about NatWest's new campaign, Tomorrow Starts Today, what inspired that. And then we look to the future as well and what are NatWest doing to solve the climate crisis and what technology should we be paying attention to. This is a really great episode. I know you're going to enjoy it. Uh, There's lots to take from this. So without further ado, let's get into it. Here is my episode with Marg Jobling. Margaret Jobling, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Good. Thank you for taking the time. And and look, as I said in my intro, um, I, I set this podcast up to be able to have a conversation with CMOs to find out what it's like being a CMO, the challenges CMOs face and and, and how to be a CMO as well. So I'm, I'm itching to get into, you know, your career, find out more about how you got to where you are and, you know, what it's actually like being a CMO. So maybe let's start with how you got into marketing in the first place. So what, what attracted you to the world of marketing and how do you find yourself where you are? So I am a scientist by background, so I did a PhD in laser chemistry, believe it or not. And I started in research and development in Unilever. So I was working on skincare, deodorants, and I did a special project where they teamed a techie with a marketeer, and it was called Project De Bono back in the day. And it was, how do you increase the cycle time of technology to market? So I was doing the salt mixing on the bench and she was doing all the concept creation. And then we go and test with customers or co-create back in the day. And I loved it. Absolutely loved it. The thing is in research, you never see the product hit the shelf for another five to 10 years. So I just love listening to customers. So I said, I want to be a marketer. So I put my hand up and said, can I move function? And it took quite a while. I think it's fair to say it because as they <laughs> came back, technical people are not creative. And marketing is a black art all about creativity. But eventually someone took a punt on me and I jumped to the other side, never looked back. That's brilliant. So, so you must be in a pretty small category of people that have gone, do you say laser chemistry? Laser chemistry, a PhD in laser. That is, that is quite an amazing job. I, I, I thought my jump was hard, actually. I, I, I studied economics and business finance at university and I, I just thought that's where the money was. And then dis- discovered it. I found it quite boring, if I'm honest with you. And thought, I'd rather do the. I'd rather be in the job where you create something rather than you account for something. So that was my little epiphany. But making the jump from the sort of you know the, the slightly drier accountancy in, into marketing w- w- took me a few goes. Actually, I had to sort of sidle my way. You know, find it. You know, I was a market analyst. I think was my first job, and then I was in trade marketing, which is sort of the you know the the, the more salesy version. Eventually, got into marketing. But yeah, you know, how, how many jumps did it take you to sort of get into I guess the sort of the, the, the world of marketing for real? So I would say I probably had 10 interviews within Unilever 
So went to different parts of the business, different parts of the world, actually, different categories. And the feedback was consistent. There'd been a number of people who'd moved from technology into marketing and it hadn't been seen as a great success. And there is something about marketing around shades of grey. It's not black and white. Mm. I went finance guys actually who've joined my team before and said, I just can't cope with this because <laughs> I don't want a spreadsheet and get a number. It's all partly opinion. And so, yeah, and eventually somebody said, in fact, the woman who took a punt on me, her background was chemical engineering. And she was uh... like, oh, bright enough. And so she put me in and I look back now and think, oh my word. So she gave me a job as the European senior brand manager for Dove. And yeah. I was looking after both the UK, so European L accountable for the UK and innovation and advertising for Europe. So it brings me in and I think I did not have a clue. <laughs> the difference between PR and promotions. In fact, I remember going to the PR agency having an induction and they talked about promotional activity. And then go to the promotion agency and have an induction. They talked about PR. And I remember coming home thinking, I am so confused. And I had to write the <laughs> PR brief for the following year. That must have been quite a year or two then, as you sort of found your feet. Did, did you make any mistakes in that time? Did anything go wrong as you were sort of... Genuine. A lot of it is, I mean, I've always said marketing's common sense. You know, it's about yeah. understanding people and figuring out how to get the right stuff to them at the right, in the right way at the right time. But if I look back, I mean, you don't know the acronyms. You don't know. And I've said to someone before, it's a real skill in advertising to be able to listen to three, four, five, six scripts and then articulate what essentially is mm. an emotional response in a rational way. So feedback. I remember my first advertising meeting because in there, back in the day, the most junior person would go first. And I remember oh, no. Really? And present That's so much pressure. Six scripts. <laughs> And, and I used to think it, it must be brilliant then being a marketing director because you can just sit back, listen to yeah. everybody, and then you come across as being some demigod because you then bring it all together and it's super coherent. So it was a pretty steep look. first six months, I think. Oh, I bet it was. I bet it was. really tough. You've, you've really hit on a, a key skill in marketing, actually. And it's, I think it's harder than people appreciate because you've got so many dynamics going on, haven't you, in terms of you're, you're thinking about the business and what the business needs to achieve. The agency are putting a lot of, you know, invested lots of emotional energy and time and effort. And of course, they care very deeply. And you're often, and, and, and you're also, as you said, dealing with shades of grey, aren't you? There's not often the data to go yes that or no 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 to this sort of thing and and, and often you've got ideas that do slightly different things and there are merits in, in all of them so yeah navigating through all that is it, you're quite right is so what do you do now then so so bring me to today what would you do in that situation now how do you feedback to creative agencies i mean i think do you know the bit well if i look at what i've learned the brilliant piece i learned in newlyb was really good ground in marketing i used to call it the oxford university so it teaches you some basic skills, you know. So I remember it, ABC, you know, attention, brand, and communication. Does this grab my attention? Is it well-branded? Is it mm. communicating the core message that I want to communicate? Which it sounds really obvious, but actually yeah. it's a sort of, you know, back to what's the brief, you know, what's the single most persuasive benefit? Is the thing communicating what we've asked of it? Is yeah. the role of the brand clear? I mean, there's some really simple principles, but no one ever really sits you down and teaches they you. They don't, do they? Yeah, it's not they a great. Way through. Yeah. Still, I would say, even though I do actually think marketing has changed dramatically from when I started. I mean, I think if you go back to my very early senior brand manager days, 
you know, if you're on the centre brick of Coronation Street, it's <laughs> pretty much every eyeball in the country. So you didn't have the platforms, you didn't have the complexity. You know, there were some really basic skills. You only put a press ad on the right hand side of the page with your branding on the bottom yes. right. You know, there's some, and that, and so I do think some of the basic skills actually is still really content and context is what yeah. you're going after. Uh, yeah. So it's not if it's changed massively, but the core elements haven't really changed at all. You're right, actually. I, I remember all the fights over how far, you know, in the magazine near the front can we get? And, you know, is it worth an inside front cover versus a back cover? And what's the difference in uplift? And, you know, you're right. There were far fewer channels, but those channels were really well understood, yeah. weren't they, in terms of the, you know, the economics of it? And, and, and I think how it's to... a danger because we don't have that same discipline. You know, your content, yeah. which is one of the challenges in marketing and transparency is, Where's your stuff showing up and who's it being served up to? And I don't think mm. you as a have got the same level of control almost around the context. And, and as you know, context and content is everything. It so is. It is, I, without question. Our jobs, I think, have got way tougher. If I look at the last 25 years, I think the, the complexity of what the average marketeer has got to deal with, you've got to be data literate, you've got to be commercial, you've got to be creative. You've got to actually, you know, be quite business savvy whilst, because there is something about the sort of je ne sais quoi of marketing, which makes it exceptional versus just average that I think, you know, to package all that up is hard, I think, in today's it is. Market. It is. And I think one of the other challenges I think every marketer faces is like, on the one hand, you can have a more profound impact on your business, perhaps than any other function in, you know, in terms of the, the difference you can make and you know, the return on the investment of the resources you, you oversee. On the flip side, it's like everybody's got a flipping opinion about what you do. Like, it seems like when you go around the boardroom table, you know, the, the, the guy that runs production has got his, you know, on time in full delivery kind of metrics and the finance director, you know, she's got her, how much did we sell yesterday or whatever. And then as a marketer, you're sort of there going, well, the campaign went down well. And, you know, this new product seems to look good, doesn't it? You know, sort of thing. It's, what's your experience in the boardroom of kind of, you know, as a CMO, having to you know explain to other people who all think they know the job as well as you. What what are the tips for for that? Well, I've said many times. I I said marketing's a bit like sex and driving. Everyone thinks they're really good at it, and actually, there is a real skill and an art in the function <laughs> that we we do. Um, I mean, I think the the bit that I've learned over the years is to be credible as a marketeer, you have to be able to speak the language of the business. So you have to be able to articulate of the money we're spending, this is how it's adding value to the P&L. These are the customers we're bringing in. These are the customers we're retaining. This is the increased you know, product holdings. This is the return on investment. And you learn that very quickly because I genuinely think if you can't articulate your value, you are marginalized as, and I'd say coloring in department, but I think yeah. you're seen as the comms department. And I think marketing, to your point, is so much more than that. I think marketing is the firework that illuminates business, both internally and externally. I think it gives people pride in the badge who work in companies because they go, yes, that's my business, that's my brand, we're doing that. And I think it grows businesses. It brings in and acquires and, you know, and differentiates. I think I've also found brand as a concept is really nebulous for a lot of people. So it's they don't, can't really get their arms around the brand but you're on really safe footing if you talk customer. 
This is what our customers want. This is what customers need. This is how we satisfy them with our product services, interventions, experiences. I think that's much more tangible. So you need to talk a customer and a commercial story, but a brand and a, trust me, all good things are going to come and doesn't give, give you a warm feeling inside isn't good enough because you're never going to be taken credibly. So you need to be seen as a, a business leader, man, woman, who is a functional expert. And the role you play around the board table actually is, is as much about growing the business as an executive as it is bringing my functional view in. So, but the safest ground you can play on is customer and commercial. You do realise, I think this episode is going to get called How to Be Better at Sex and Driving. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't ask me that. Got to... <laughs> there we go. I think we've got our clickbait title sorted. Anyway, I, I love love that. It's it, it, That's so rich. Um, it brings me on to a question I wanted to ask you connected to that, because um, my experience has been that the, the functional role of a CMO is not what people think it is, is that you spend your career getting better at marketing, quote unquote, but when you find yourself in the CMO role, it, the, the job's quite different, isn't it, to how maybe people perceive it. You're not necessarily the best marketer at doing advertising or whatever. You have to play across a number of different disciplines. So talk to me about what skill set makes a very good CMO, because you've had a number of kind of high profile roles. I mean, I think, so if you look at what I think my role is as a CMO, I think you've got two hats. You've got a an executive around the executive table figuring out what the strategy and the future of this business looks like and how we're going to get there. So in that world, you're bringing your, I guess, your business experience and, you know, your function obviously plays a role because you come in with a sort you know, a set of skills, I guess. The other part of my job is what I'd call a sort of football manager for the function because actually my job in that context is have I got the right players on the pitch? Do they know what game they're playing? Are they clear about their position? You know, actually, do they know what goal scoring looks like? Can we afford what we're doing? How am I on budget? How am I on risk? How am I on? So I'm not actually doing any doing really anymore. Yeah, yeah. You know, my job, I think, is to, uh, is, is my team good? Do they know what they're doing? Are they clear on expectations and the guardrails? They're going to figure the how. I need to catch them if they fall and therefore, you know, they need to know I've got their back. So you create the conditions that they can crack on and I unblock. So I'm constantly yes. going, what can I do yes. to help you get on? Who do I need to go and knock yes. the door on so that gravity comes down? So you're yeah. unblocking. And the other big thing I think, which is more important than ever in our world, is create the conditions for people to experiment. Because we don't know really what's going to work. You know, we've got mm. some bankers, but it's, mm. our world's moving so quickly. And actually, access to data, access to understanding our world, it's a bit like a graphic equaliser. You know, you need to turn mm. a bit up and say, what did that do for the base? And turn a bit down. So I think yeah. creating a culture where people can test and learn. I hate fail fast because fail fast suggests you've failed. I don't think anything we do is fail. Learn fast, we yeah. stuff. As long as you're clear about what you're trying to do, what are you testing for? Are you learning? Because I see a lot of test and test and not enough learn. And what does that mean? <laughs> yes. If you need to stay really curious, because also I've said, the day I start thinking I'm our customer and the day I start thinking I know better than the people who are doing the job day in, day out, is the day that I need to leave because... I'm not open-minded anymore. Yeah, I've been around a bit longer and I've seen stuff work and not work. So I'll have a view. But actually, I've always said the answers all lie within the organisation. 
people in. It's almost bonkers to me that they expect the most senior person to make big decisions. Yeah. Further yeah. away from the day to day. Like yeah. the people really know what's going on. So, so I've said, how do you invert the pyramid? You know, my job is mm. to support you. It's not to tell you what to do. Your job is to tell me where you need support and how I can help you get there faster. I, I, I briefly worked at Suntory and they have a phrase called the Gemba, which sort of means the front line. And whether it's in production or whether it's in marketing, whether it's in sales, it, it, it always encourages you, the closer you are to your customer, the better decision you make. And I love that because it was just like, you, know, you don't need to do the research if you're talking to your customers and hearing about their banking experience firsthand. You're like, well, of course you'd want to do it like this and, and, and not like that. So that's, that's great advice. I read an article by Terry Levy years ago and he said in Tesco's, what they recognised was that King Pin is the store manager and the whole supply chain is geared up around the store manager because they know on the ground what their customers want and need. And so, you know, the more distant you are from the people who are really interacting with customers day in, day out, and that's why I think the job of an exec is almost to close the gap between, yeah. you know, the centre and the people who are really, really close to the people. The, yes. the people who've, I've said, I've said many times internally, the people who pair our beer on a Friday night, i.e. our customers are the tune we should dance to. And yeah. they're the people we need to be listening really carefully to and understanding what they need and how do we serve them. Could not agree more. I, I love what you're saying about failure as well there, because my experience has been most cultures are fail, get fired, you know, and, and people are desperate to cover up failure. They, they, they want to kind of polish the results to emphasize that the minor successes might have happened. How have you? How how do you kind of create a culture whereby you give permission for your team to experiment, to learn? We build test and learn into what we do. So we've said, you know, I, I want a test and learn plan. So we look at that. You know, what are we learning? What are we testing? How are we scaling? How are we moving it across? We call them franchises, but essentially P and Ls. So we have that built into our ways of working. We went agile. So part of going agile is, you know, we basically plan to 80% capacity, easy to say, and really hard to do. But as part of that, we built in test and learn culture. You know, part of the brief, if have you, anyone ever has worked with me, part of the first conversation is about, I don't like surprises. I don't like, you know, if it's not yeah. worked out, I don't care. I mean, you know, I've said, if you do it again and again, and that's a different conversation. But actually, you know, if you've taken risks, where I've learned the most in my career is where I've screwed up. And that's always one of my interviews. Totally. Questions. Where have you screwed yeah. up? And it's how many people yeah. haven't. And I'm like, we haven't tried hard enough. Because if you yeah. haven't made mistakes, you're not pushing the boundaries. You're not trying to figure out how to do things new and differently. And therefore, you're not taking risk. Without risk, I would argue, you don't get really movement mm -hmm. and growth. So... You know, all you can do is celebrate things that have gone wrong. So get people to talk about them, showcase them, you know, because that's a big symbol of that's okay. You know, that is okay. Mm. And I'm really comfortable with data that says we're not perfect. And I think you actually get more credibility if you can talk about, this is what we learned. This is where it didn't happen quite as we'd expected. And this is what we're going to do about it. And I'd said... And I've said to everyone, I've got my show reel and I've got a separate reel that I don't get out, but it's there. <laughs> and I can tell you, I mean, I've got a campaign I never ran in, you know, it just, but back in the, but you know, I can tell you where it went wrong. I know what we didn't do right in that process. 
I think you should do a little series on my biggest screw ups and, and just get CMOs to, to fess up. That would be a cool thing, wouldn't it? I, I, the most oversubscribed talk I've ever done in my life was um, I just started back, back at Suntory. I just started actually, and the, the, the HR director, Tracy's amazing. And, and she had this lovely idea about the exec should be closer to the teams. And therefore, rather than get outside trainers to come and do um, learning sessions she goes she, she called it i think a learning festival she goes right we the exec are going to deliver the training on our own special topics right and i just joined like a week or two before and everyone else was doing you know how to manage a pnl or you know how to you know do personal development anyway Tr- tracy said i i was because i was late in and it all been organized she said oh pick a topic john and i just read matthew syed's black box thinking which is all about how like in the airline industry you learn when the plane crashes and what you learn when the plane crashes saves loads of other planes from crashing so i was on holiday and uh, first day back was going to be this thing so i emailed in to go right i've got my theme my five biggest failures is going to be my theme anyway i forgot about it and I, I day day back from holiday i turn up and my talk was oversubscribed four times. I had to repeat it four times over because, yeah. and literally the rest of the exec was just like, you, you know, you've literally like, we, we got two people to ours and you've got like 65, you know, <laughs> and they're all like literally queuing up to go, this new CMO has just joined the company. He's going to talk about his failures. This is too good to miss, you know, but the, the thing that, the thing, of course, I mean, you know this, but the thing, of course, it was, so, it was quite emotional actually, because, Suddenly people said things that they never said to anyone before about things that had gone really badly wrong and it impacted them emotionally and, you know, in terms of their careers and stuff. And it was almost like a therapy session at the end. But of course, the point was, and my little twist in the tail was, for every failure, it preceded a big success. Yeah. And of course, you, you know, you learn, don't you? And that's the point, of course, is that what you then achieve off the back of it is, is often, you know, so much greater than whatever you lose in the, on the way. Couldn't agree more. So you've worked across a number of sectors as well. You've worked FMCG, haven't you? And you've been in sort of service industry and now banking. But how do they compare? Because again, my prejudice as having pretty much worked in FMCG myself is, you know, marketing's often got a seat at the top table, driving strategy, brand planning and so on. My perception, I might be wrong, of course, is that often in, in other sectors, it, it, it's more of a backseat because it's more product led or, or so on. How does banking and FMCG compare? Is that true? Or, you know, how have you found it? Yeah, I would say there's elements of truth in that. I would say the further off move from FMCG, the harder you've got to work as a marketeer to be credible. So in FMCG, the business is brand and marketing. You know, the whole marketing runs the show. It runs the P&L, it runs the insight, the product, the creative. It, it's in the DNA of the culture. And the organization is geared up around really delivering for the customer. And, you know, and I've reflected on that a few times. And I think the reason why is you don't own the customer relationship in consumer goods, the retailer does. So unless you develop products and services that meet the needs of the customer, unless you can sell it to a retailer, unless you can create brilliant content that pulls that footfall and the sales through, then you're either never going to get on the shelf or you'll be on and off the shelf quickly. So the, the organization is very brand and customer centric, so nobody questions marketing per se. I think as you move into the service industries, and it's interesting, I won't, I couldn't go back to consumer goods. I think the service industry is really more interesting because your brand, I would argue, is everything. 
It's every letter we send, every branch visits, every engineer visit in British Gas. It's every advertisement we run. And therefore, you need to think brand and it much more holistically because the system doesn't work unless it all works. So I could put the best TV ad in the world on air. But if I call you or walk into a branch and I have a rubbish experience and it falls apart. So the consistency of your customer experience and the management of the channels and how brand shows up is so much more critical, I would argue, in service industries. I also think you've got some challenges around regulator, what you can and can't do. You know, I have many examples where we know because of the way we have to inform customers, then it really does, you know, the energy bill, you know, we have to talk about yes. calorific, you know, kilowatt hours and calorific value and customers don't stand any of that. All they want to know is what do I owe? <laughs> is that number higher or lower than I was expecting? And how do I pay? And if it is higher, how do I make sure it doesn't happen again? So you've got some constraints around what you can and can't do from a regulated perspective. And the benefit, I think, in service industries is you've got insight and data. You know where your customers live. You know what products and services they've got from you. You see triggers being thrown off everywhere. So your ability to influence and drive, I think, a different outcome is at a very different level. However, all that said, they are less developed in how they think about marketing. And one of the questions I always ask when you go and talk to some other organizations is, what do you define as marketing? Because I think if you went and did yes. a sort of 10 yeah. different service businesses, what sits in the function and what doesn't sit in the function would be quite different. And therefore, I think, you know, one of the big challenges is how do you join the dots up in those service businesses? Because whether you own it or not, it all needs to work together as a system. So whoever owns brand mm. to be talking to the UX and the CX guys, because it should, your brand should be translated yeah. into design and experience. Typically brand has been sat doing the advertising. So therefore the skill set, they haven't got, they can't lean in and go, no, my brand needs to be translated into yeah. customer experience design, you know, design principles and how it shows up. See, I, I think you've got to work very differently in those businesses because you can have a big impact, but you don't own all the levers in the same way. And there's a bit mm. of an job to be done around what marketing can do for the business because the legacy has been, they are very product out big P&L engines and therefore, you know, with this customer base that quite frankly doesn't go anywhere or hasn't gone anywhere historically, that's all changing really quickly. When I joined the energy sector, there was 8% churn. When I left, there was 28% churn. Switching sides, really? wow. people around changing the growth of the small startups, you know, the, and you've seen the same in yeah. financial services, you know, the industry. But don't yeah. be about technology, I would argue, is changing really quickly. So actually, you know, the big yeah. businesses like mine have to get much more front and center with customer and marketing and because how you engage with your customers, retain your customers and attract is marketing. So I think it's changing. It but the, if you think of where the businesses have started from, they've had very different start points and the dynamics of what they're trying to solve for are very different. But yeah, but the core elements of what we do in marketing is the same. So I would argue universally. I love that question. What is marketing? Because that's really on the nail, actually. Because you're right in FMCG. That that you know, 
owning the P&L strategy, all the tactics, you know, the product through to communication, everything else in between is really clear, isn't it? And But then when you, you know, whenever the headhunters phone me up about a job in the service set, I go, so you're only managing one of the four Ps? Am I just doing the, you know, the, am I just turning up at the event and doing the stands now? Is that what, is that what the job is? Start taking it to a slight extreme. Yeah. So I, I love that because the impact you can have on the business, you know, when you, when you understand the, the whole of marketing is, is profound, isn't it? It's, so, so having now just explained how broad marketing is, let me let me narrow down to people's probably preconceptions of what marketing is anyway, and talk about the the, the promotional P and advertising. The, the banking is how how do we put this politely? Can feel quite dry and boring, can't it, from an advertising perspective? And it's one of the most advertised categories, and it seems that every ad's the same, and you know it's interest rates, and, and, and you know I switch off within five minutes. But talk to me about your latest campaign. I, I really like it. Tomorrow starts today because I think it it it. it just it really is really interesting so i'd love to hear more about what was the insight what are you trying to achieve as a brand in the marketplace and what difference are you trying to make you know for your customers so the insights we did a lot of work on i guess the brand what it stands for its history and the big insight that came out which we have tested many which ways and it resonates across all segments is one of the hardest things is to get going and actually procrastination is the devilment of no action. And therefore we as a role, as a bank, can really help our customers get on that journey. And I think banking's tricky. I mean, money is hard. You know, actually money has got multiple challenges, but for a lot of people, it's stress in the world. You know, lots of kids leave school now with no life skills, no real understanding of money and money management. So the insight was all about actually get going. I think couch to 5K, you know, how do you get going? And then, and what stops you is understanding expertise, tools, access. And therefore we as a bank can play right into that because we're an action bank that want to help you get started. So we're the cheerleader that's there beside you, giving you the tools and the access and the support. And that's tested universally brilliantly from young people through to startups and entrepreneurs through to, you know, big corporates. We're there for, to give you help and advice and support at, a, at the at the big corporate level. I guess what we're really looking at is how do you differentiate as a brand? You know, because actually a lot of people say banking's banking, products and services. Yeah. I think increasingly customer experience and how you show up in that experience, you know, will increasingly be a differentiator. But, you know, therefore what we're, what we're going after is a point of view on the world. And our point of view of the world is, you know, get up and get going today because actually tomorrow never comes. So how do we be the action bank that's really driving people to admit, take action? And what we're looking at, we've done a lot of work around purpose. You know, we want to leave a societal impact. You know, all the work that we're doing with Marcus Rashford, if you look at the statistics with young people, it's shocking. Actually, we can play a pivotal role to help people get on their journey. And therefore, we're looking at how do we help our customers thrive? What can we do differently? How do we have a point of view on the world? And the new campaign is really helping us modernize and be seen as, as doing something different and having something to say. So, and it's working well yeah. so far. And, and look, it, it, it's a wonderful universal insight, isn't it? That it doesn't matter who you are, you know, progress and, and you know, overcoming procrastination is, is going to benefit anyone. Uh, so how, how how are you as a bank and as a brand living that out as well, you know, beyond the kind of TV commercial? I mean, internally, it becomes the sort of, I guess, the lens for, you know, how do we get our people internally to take action? So internally, we're creating, we call them tomorrow makers. 
you know, how do we get people into inside the business to take action to date, either help the employees, so the things that we need to fix or sort out or do differently and or help our customers, you know, becomes a lens for proposition development. You know, what could we do to really help customers get there faster? Because ultimately, once you get started, you know, could we be there? So if you look at some of the things we're putting in place, whether roundups on the app so you can start saving, we've now got hundreds of thousands of people who start saving that have never saved before. So how do we use it as a tool to get propositional activation? But it's a very clear North Star for partnerships. So we've obviously going through a process to say, what are we going to stop? What do we need to accelerate in climate? Use it lens for climate. How do we help people take action today for a better tomorrow? So it becomes almost, yeah. you know, rallying cry for everything we do. And therefore it gives you a very clear, is that well, on strategy or is that on strategy? Well, that, 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 that kind of connects lovely to my next question, because the most obvious application for tomorrow begins today, of course, is the world in which we live and the climate and the future and how we you know, protect the environment. What, what steps are you guys taking to, to, to help in that? I mean, first of all, we are well on the way. So we've made really strong commitments around, I've said, start with get your house in order. Then we're looking at how we move to green financing. So we want half the financing of our book. We've made really good strides in that. So we've launched you know, green loans. We've taped it with Octopus to look at how do we, transportation, electric vehicles, how do we finance? Now we've just launched Kogo, which is about how do we look at your spending patterns and then give you the carbon output from your spend with help and support and tips and, you know, how do you then change behavior? Mortgages, green mortgages, how do we finance? Because the three, if you look at the three big things in the UK, housing infrastructure, how do we really help upgrade our housing infrastructure and help people on that journey? It's going to be transportation and then the agricultural sector, which we're obviously big finances of. So we're doing a lot of work and we've started conversations with other partners around how we can come together as coalitions and drive a different outcome. Yeah. Interesting, one of the biggest challenges in the finance sector is customers don't get the link between banks and sustainability. So we have to explain, you know, money makes the world go around. There's good money and there's bad money. So where yeah. that then is flowing is driving both innovation, investment and return and driving the economy. So how do we help make sure that the financing is coming from the right place and, and going to the right place? And I, I suppose, as you've described it as well, it, it's both sides because you're financing business, but you're also helping people spend their money or, or, or track how they're spending their money. So it's also what you choose to spend your money on as well as what you choose to invest in as a society. That's fascinating. I mean, you could have a massive impact, couldn't you? Just by just by giving people the information to know how their spending habits are impacting the environment or, you know, where they might invest their pensions and, and loans and all that kind of stuff. That's really fascinating. Wow. And there's lots to imagine at the moment as we front into cost of living, there's lots of conversations around, you know, the mantra we use is good for the planet, good for your pocket, because I think we as a brand need to lean in and work out how we help customers on that journey, because there's a big gap, I call the say do gap, but between what people say and then what they actually do, because everyone knows that they need to be doing that, making the right choices in the right way, but ultimately it's going to cost them more or the quality isn't as good or, you know, it's trickier. So I've said as, as a brand, we need to be leaning into that space and looking at you know, products and services, what can we bring, education, you know, nudges, but how do we show up to help people yeah. take small steps, which is back to, you know, yeah. take action today for a better tomorrow. The small things, if done en masse, will create a big tidal wave. 
I think that's that's really powerful. I mean, I remember a few years ago I was involved in the sugar tax, and I remember hearing a talk from Action on Sugar, and, and they, they 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 were trying to get at this point, this is before the tax came in, trying to get Coke, for example, just to take ten percent of the sugar out each year so that no one noticed right rather than suddenly trying to convince you to stop drinking coke and start drinking kind of i don't know coconut water whatever you know because that was too big a behavioral change and i thought it was really interesting because i i would you know i'd have started going yes we still have electric cars straight away and we still do this and we'll do that Uh, but actually i thought it's quite a clever way of doing it is make it as easy as possible so that people make the right choices almost without noticing you know and if you can do that then then it'll it'll get us there quicker maybe yeah and i did fair trade chocolate when it's in tablet village oh yeah that's a, that's a good one isn't it yeah yeah because good game yeah. by changing your source of supply yeah. your source of then supply makes a massive difference yeah but but people wouldn't pay more money for it i mean that was always they would say you know actually i'll do the right thing presented with the choice you can have this form which is doing the right thing or this one that isn't you know, as long as it's not going to cost me more, then I'll always make the right choice. So I think you know, our job as brands is to serve up the right answer and make it as easy as possible and lower the barrier to entry. Exactly. I, I, I once managed the UK's number one fair trade juice brand, actually, which is smaller than it should have been. because You know, that it should have been much bigger. Anyway, But what I found there is same thing, like consumers wouldn't pay a penny more. But amazing business to business benefit, because when I was pitching to get in, you know, to, for a juice contract, it was a differentiator within a B2B, you know, kind of uh, context where businesses wanted to do the right thing. So it's, it, that was about customers not even realizing, but as a business making the only choice available, the ethical choice, you know, sort of thing in, in the fridge. So I think we as businesses, even if we, even if the, the customer consumer doesn't change, we can still set up the supply chain in a way that makes uh, you know makes a big difference. I was going to ask you about technology. What 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 are you what what do you see in the future for you know the banking sector or maybe kind of maybe pivot to marketing as well? What kind of technology trends should we be thinking about that are going to affect how we do our jobs in the future? I've been there a lot. AI, metaverse, crypto, but it reminds me. So back in the day. So one of the best projects I ever, ever got to work on was the CMO from Unilever at the time said, what does the future of the digital landscape look like? So Mark, I want you to go figure that out. So what we did was we went to US for three weeks and traveled around. So we went to Google, went to what was then Facebook. So I met Mark Zuckerberg. We went to EA Games, we went to Activision, eBay, but met a whole heap of people. And I remember leaving thinking, wow. So first of all, it's an ad-funded revenue model, actually. Everybody advertising is propping that all up. Yeah. They need us, which was interesting. The second thing was nobody knows what the future looks like, but you have to be in it to win it. Mm. So experimentation is critical. So back then, people were paranoid about mobile. So the future was going to be mobile. No one really knew how to get into mobile. Google was paranoid about Facebook. Facebook was paranoid about Google. eBay was paranoid about all of them. And you know, you, and then you had friends reunite. It's just gone with being gone. So I look at it and go, it's nascent. You've got to figure out. And uh, you know, crypto, I still am not convinced there's a use case, but my son tells me it's going to replace money. <laughs> so I'm all get with the program. So I'm just, you know, I think we have got to be in it 
Because if you're not and not helping figuring out either how to make it all credible, I mean, people are gambling crypto thinking they're going to get rich really quick. I mean, it dropped 40% in a week. And then there are people who are making millions. I think from a banking perspective, you know, our job is to help people manage their money and help them be protected in, you know, how that money's getting deployed. So there'll be loads of opportunities, but nobody knows. I mean, that is the beauty of what's going to happen. The cases that are being presented now will not be the scaled use cases because something will come out. You know, yeah. humans are incredibly ingenious and they find ways to make those lives easier. I've always said, if it helps me save time, money, and effort, then actually it'll be a flyer for people because they've gone, it makes my mm. life easier and people are grasping for things that make their life easier. So the technology is going to be at the heart of it all because then you just see, I mean, if you took something like payments in banking and the explosion of payment solutions, Apple Pay, PayPal, you know, Google Pay, Klarna, it's phenomenal. And with that comes ease and reduced effort from a customer perspective. But how that all shapes up in the future, I tell you, I wouldn't be doing my job today if I knew the answer to that. <laughs> yes, exactly. a great betting, well, hedging, investment strategy to yeah. make a multi-millionaire. I, I love strategists are always geniuses in retrospect, aren't oh, they? Yeah, yeah. Looking back, of course, you know. I've seen many the corporate strategies rewritten on the back of what happened versus yeah. what actually was intended to happen. That's right. I, I had a, a boss from a few years ago who used to say, uh, "He said, Johnny boy." He says, success has many fathers and failures an orphan. Yeah. You know, and it's just like uh, throughout my whole career, you can just spot it. You know, you've had a hands going, oh, I worked on this one. And you're just like, I seem to remember at the time that, you know, that no one had no one had their fingerprints on that. Now it's a success. Oh, yes, everyone's worked on it. You know, listen, just to, to round us off a bit. So I, I, I lose track of all the top 100 CMO list, but, you, but you're in the campaign and the marketing one. Does, has that brought you any kind of, does that get the headhunters calling you or, What's the what's the benefit of being on the in, in in the high profile charts on this stuff? It must help the CV at some point. I tell you what I find the most useful is it helps networking. So I try to do a fair back whack of judging, and you get invited to judge because they think you might have a bit of relevant experience. I love judging because you get to see what everyone else is doing, and I am a total magpie, John. Like I sit there, I go, I wish we'd done that and then bring that back into the home ranch. So I think from a networking, seeing what's going on in the industry, you know, I, I love looking at other people's work because you go, that's just, you learn something every single time. You're so right. I remember t uh, taking over a new job at Britvic when I was there and actually feeling very lonely. Like there wasn't anyone in, inside the business that really understood the challenges I was facing. I got so much energy when I went out and networked and met other people that had similar challenges. And it part, really, it's part of the reason I started this podcast actually was to connect people in, you know, when they're commuting or in the gym or whatever, they can just listen to other people who, you know, and hear their stories and facing the same challenges as them and just take inspiration that, you know, there's, there's so much kind of experience and wealth of information out there if, if you just look for it. And, you know, you can, I've always said, you can learn something from everyone. I mean, that's, I think if you look at, you know, I do think marketing is somewhat, we've got as an industry, we've got a massive role to play. And, and I think how we show up and how we build the reputation of the industry and attract talent and, you know, we are, we're a bellwether for 
economic recovery. I mean, mm. we're driving, you know, if I look at sustainability, we're driving consumption. So what we advertise and how we advertise it and how we build that credibility, you know, we've got a massive role to play. So I think, you know, being in the industry, I feel accountable and responsible and, you know, you want to make a difference. You want to, I always said, you know, you want to leave the place. We're here and we run these brands for a short period of time in their history. You know, your hope is you leave it in a better place than when you left it. And every job you go into, you want to leave, you know, leave something that says, I made it better. I didn't make it worse. The last thing you want is to, you know, decline a brand. <laughs> yes, tear it down. Yeah. Well, Mark, I think that's a perfect place to wrap it up, actually. That's a lovely kind of peak ending to our to our conversation to leave people with that challenge to leave the world in a better place. And look, and we're talking about the literal world as well, not just the metaphorical one these days as well. So uh, I think it's wonderful. We can all play a role. Thank you so, so much for, for taking the time. I, I love this conversation. There's a lot of great takeouts there for everyone listening. So thank you so, so much. Thanks, John. Great pleasure to spend some time with you. So, ladies and gentlemen, that was my interview with Mark Jobling. Uh, it was a fascinating episode. I learned so much and uh, there was so much of what she said that really resonated with me. And I found myself agreeing and nodding along all the way through. Um, if you like that episode and want to uh, find out more about the Uncensored CMO, then please do subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can do that at Apple Podcasts, you can, on Spotify, and now also at Amazon Podcasts as well. Please do leave me a review if you can, remembering that five is better than one um, no genuinely I do love to have feedback and uh, I'd love to hear from you if you want to get in contact I'm over at Uncensored CMO uh, on Twitter and I'm at LinkedIn under my normal name John Evans that's John without an H look forward to hearing from you take care and I'll see you next time